Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast today. Today's podcast is a live teaching I did here recently. Check it out. I know it's going to bless your life. But I, I want to talk to you today. Uh, I don't usually have a sermon title that I would talk about, but today I am. And, and the today's t- title is, There's a Place for You at the Table. So I want to talk to you guys. You know, if, if you go over to somebody's house and like, look, I want you to come over for dinner. And you walk in and there's four people and there's three seats. You go, well, they weren't really planning on me showing up now, were they? But if you walk in and there's a place with your name on it and it's set up just like you like it, somebody that invited you cares that you're there. So let's talk about this. I want to talk about two, two, two sons in the Bible over in, over in Luke. <laughs> I, I have my, I have my, 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 uh, my book of the Bible wrong yesterday, but over in Luke chapter 15, I want to talk about the prodigal sons. And I know a lot of times we talk about those that come back to God and this and that, but I want to look at a different aspect of this. And uh, you guys know the story of the prodigal son and Tamara. I may skip around on you on some verses a little bit because I don't think we need to go through all 37 verses of the story, but we might. So here we go. It says a certain man had two sons. And we know that one of those sons said, Dad, you give me everything that's mine. And this is what's interesting. The dad gave him what he asked for. And that son went out and, and it says he traveled to a faraway place. So he is away from the father at this point. And he's living however he wants. And it doesn't work out for him. You guys know the story there. It says he, uh, that in the, he spent up all his money. He lived however he wanted. And then came some hardship in that land. And there was, I think, in, in a, a verse 14, uh, 13 is where we're at, 15. Here we go. It says, then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed the swine, to feed the pigs. And that son would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. He said, I'd have gladly ate that pig slop. He was hungry. Verse 17, verse 17 it says, When he came to himself, listen, if you are somewhere in your life, now this is, this is difficult sometimes to say, people don't like to hear your choices have brought you to that point because there is power from God available so much. We want to blame our circumstances and our situations on everything else, which really just means we're a slave to everyone else's decisions. But that is not how God created you. Okay? That's not how that works. So when this young man came to himself, that's important. He made a decision on the inside. He he looked at this situation and he's in. And it says he came to himself and he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread to spare? And here I am dying in hunger. I'll go to my father's house and I'll say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven And before you, don't go anywhere yet. Go back, Tamara. He came to himself over two things. Where he was and where he used to be. Where he was and where he could be. But if you don't begin to come to yourself that where you're at is not where you want to be, then you're going to stay where you are. Okay? That's a little bit of a side lesson and halfway applies to what I'm talking about, but it fully applies all the time. Here we go. It says, but when he came to himself, oh, I'm sorry, let's go to verse nine, uh, verse 18 it says, I'll arise and go to my father's house and I'll tell my father this. 
I've sinned against God and I've sinned against you. Verse 19, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your servants. So this son has decided, listen to this, on his own, that he is no longer considered worthy of the father's kinship. He didn't ask the father. He is still in a faraway land on his own. And he decided, I'm no longer worth. I'm no longer worthy because of what I've done. I don't count anymore. There's not a place for me at that table. My seat's taken. My reserve sign is gone. There's no placemat for me. But he's reasoning that in his own mind. It's not like him and the father are having a conversation. The father's not involved in this, listen, process of rejection. This is coming out of his own heart. It's coming out of, listen, the place that all sin and rejection comes from, shame and rejection. It comes out of sin. He's talking from the voice of sin. He's been living in sin. He's been acting a fool. He's been filling his head with whatever he wants to, filling his life with whatever he wants to, ignoring his father in a faraway land. And the effects have come upon him. And this is what the effect is. You don't deserve to be with your father anymore. But that's not the voice of the father. You see, there is such a thing in the, in the, as conviction and it stings and that's good. You see, conviction is the light of God telling you, come up out of that darkness. Let that go and come out. But see, condemnation is different. Condemnation says you have no right to the light. That's always a lie. Condemnation is not of God. You do have a right to the light. Now, if it stings because you've been acting a fool, let it sting. Okay? But that doesn't mean you have no right to the light. Okay? Let's go on over to verse 20. It says, And he arose and came to his father, and, he was, and while he was still a great way off, his father saw him, and had compassion. Don't forget, as you have maybe grown up in a world where God is this great, big, thunderbolt, fiery thing that crushes all sin, don't forget that the Bible does not describe him that way. This father had compassion on his son. And what was his son? His son was way far off, acting a fool, not thinking right. That's the current state of that son. And God's current state or the father's current state towards him was compassion, not rejection. All right. So verse 21, and he came to his father. I mean, verse 20. I'm sorry. I threw you off a little bit there. It says, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion and ran and fell on his neck, hugged and kissed him. Verse 21. And the son said to the father, I sinned against you in the sight of God. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Notice this. The father's just listening. And all this stuff his son has to say. And the father's going to respond here in a minute. All right. The son says, Father, I've sinned against you, against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So this is the son's just talking. The father's like, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. You done yet? Zip it. This is what the father says. He just looks away from the son. He says, go get the servants. Go call the servants. Bring out the best robe. Bring out the ring. Bring out some sandals. Put it on my son. Somebody start the grill. Get a banquet going. He doesn't even pay attention to the son's idea of himself. Why? 
Because that's not how the Father sees them. And you can talk about how the Father loves you, but He'd rather just show you. He's just going to show you how He loves you. You see, if you don't have the power to show love, all you've got is kind thoughts. But Jesus is full of kind thoughts and power, which means He can change your life. Okay? And there's a place at the table for you, and there's change at that table. So let's keep going. And in verse 23, the father said, bring out the fatted calf, kill it. Let's eat and be merry for my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they begin to celebrate. Now, what are they celebrating? Are they celebrating that the son is broke? They're celebrating that he's probably got blisters on his feet. They're not celebrating the lifestyle he was in. They're not saying, hey, tell me about all the foolishness you did. That's not the father is the one throwing the party. Do you understand? When the son showed up, he showed up with nothing. In fact, really, he showed up with less than nothing because everything he had, he'd already lost. But whose house did he show up to? The father's house. Who had built that house? The father. Who owned that land? The father. Who owned that robe? The father. Who owned the ring? The father. Who owned the sandals? Who owned the fatted calf? Who owned the banquet? The father. The father didn't ask anything of the son. As long as the son returned, he was invited back in. Now, we use this all the time. We talk about people, I have sinned and I walked away from God. And that matters. But you see, when it comes to being close to God, many people, still feel like God is over there and I'm over here and it's supposed to be that way because of how I have acted. But did you actually ask Jesus what he thought about that? Because I don't remember anywhere in the Bible where he laid it out that way. You stand over there and I'll stand over here and that'll be okay. That's not true. In fact, if you look through the whole Bible, nothing gives you an example of that. Look, when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they built Moses and they, they got settled and, and they built this place called a tabernacle and they put an ark in it and the power of God filled that ark. But you know that when God said, listen, Moses, I want you to build me a tabernacle. He said, you put it here and you have all my children camp in a circle around me because I want to be in their midst. If he wanted to something different, he said, put me on the mountain and send them over there and don't let them come within miles of me. That's not what he did. That's not the way he did it. Look at Adam and Eve. The moment they sin, what is the next thing that happened? A visitation from God face to face. He came looking for them. Even though they tried to run, he's chasing them. Where y'all at? Okay, Marco Polo, I'm over here. Where y'all at? That's what he's doing. He's looking. He is looking for them. Sin changed their mindset of being with God, but it didn't change God's mindset of being with them. See, if you, if you let sin dominate you, you will live in separation from God because that's what it does. You will think you are not worthy of the promises. But the truth is, Jesus Christ died on a cross and made you worthy. Every promise opened to you in that moment. Do you understand? And if you forget that, then you have left your place at the table empty. And that's not what we're supposed to be doing. 
You see, whose table is it? It's the Father's table. And who said, put a place there for you? It was the Father. See, the son, the prodigal son that was afar off, he was not in charge of the party. The party was for him. The father was in charge of the party and said, put a, ta- put a seat at this table for that son. But there's another son. There's another son. Let's go look here. Let's go look here. Look, 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 look. I'm losing papers. It's because I folded them and now they won't sit on the small podium. But that's all right. It's all right. The Lord will help us. He's with us. It's on the screen. Tam- Tamara's got to take it care of. <laughs> Let's look over here at verse 25. It says, now his older son was in the field. And he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked, what do these things mean? Next. And he said, and the servant said to him, your brother came home. He came to his senses and came back. And because the father has received and received him safe and sound, because the father has received him back, who is throwing the party? Your father is throwing a party. Killed the fatted calf and the son was angry. Now listen, we can go all into why the son was angry and I'm going to talk about one aspect of that. But it says this, but he was, the son was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out to him, didn't reprimand him, didn't beat him over the head, didn't say, bring me a stick for my stubborn son. He said he went out, he looked him face to face and he appealed to his heart desperately and said, don't stay out here. Now let's go to the next scripture. And it says, lo, these many years I have been serving. This is the son. He said, I've been serving you. And I didn't do all this wrong. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a a, a party that I might make merry with my own friends. Let's go to the next. But as soon as this son of yours, that old stinky brother of mine, shows up, who has devoured and done wrong and been foolish and lived with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And here's the father's response. He said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that I have is yours. That son in that field had not left. Let me, let me break this down. He hadn't left church. But he was not close to his father. Because when the father rejoices, those close to him rejoice with him. You see what I'm saying? This son knew his father, but he did not have his father's heart. Because you can live close to something and not let it in. That's what free will is. You don't have to let God in. But if you do, then you develop the heart of God. And that is what the presence of God is about. That's why it's not just available to you in a room with many other people. It's available to you one-on-one every single day of your life. Because just like sitting next to a heater, the closer you stay to something, the longer you are there, the more it changes you. You see, when you live next to the father of light, light begins to infiltrate your heart. When you live next to truth, truth begins to become your reality. When you live next to wisdom, you begin to see the world differently. And when you live next to love, the fact that your brother has returned is a reason for you to rejoice. You see, you got two brothers here. 
one who separated himself from God, from, from the Father, which we know to be God. This is Jesus. He's explaining how things work. You got one that left, went and lived in sin, and no, no longer felt worthy to be with the Father. You have one who stayed close to the Father, but never gave the Father's heart a chance to affect him. You have two sons that aren't close. Two. Two sons that aren't close. And to both of them, the father responded the same way, with kindness and compassion, and invited them into the banquet. The father threw the banquet. The son that came home, he put him at the table, and the son who'd been close but not familiar with his heart, he said, please don't stay away. Come in. Why? Because there is a place for you at this table. For everyone. For some of you have sat around and it was about religion and you showed up to church every Sunday and you said, this is why God loves me. That's not the case. You see, this son worked diligently. Everything the father put on the to-do list, the son had completed and he had completed it correctly. But that did not help him know his father more. You see, until you want to know God, he doesn't come. That's not how that works. That's called free will. When he gave you free will, that means he's not going to cross that boundary. Okay? You get to decide how close God is to you. That's how that works. The Bible says, if you draw near to God, then he draws near to you. The first move is yours. And the closeness you have with God is according to the closeness you're willing to make. I, I say this all the time. If I have, I've been married, what have we been married? 27 years now? 26, 27? A long time. Long time. Been there, we've been there a while. Still a great marriage. Love my wife. Absolutely. Absolutely phenomenal. But if all I did is go out on one date with her once a month for 27 years, I guarantee you I would not know her like I do now. Why? Because I live with her. Mm-hmm. I live with her and she tolerates me. No, I'm kidding. That's not how that works. We live with each other. And then we tolerate each other depending on the day. But anyway, <laughs> if I had only gone out on two dates, maybe one date a year, would I really know her? In this, if I'd only gone out in a group setting, there's going to be 10 of us, and I'll just happen to sit next to Dixie, how much would I really know of her? It's the closest moments that make the biggest difference. And it's easy to hide in a room like this where we have a great worship team going on and singing and the presence of God comes and feel okay. But it's different to stop your day, sit still by yourself and say, Father, what would you like to say to me? Because it becomes so real. And let me tell you something. Closeness is accountability. You're accountable for those moments. Because when God comes into your heart and looks you face to face in your spirit, the things you see of him, you become responsible for. And it scares people. They don't like that closeness. Mm. But even like the first son, you destroy that closeness. There is still a place for you at the table. This is the deal. When God set up the great banquet of his love and he created that table and put your name at it, the, the name tag on your seat is permanent. Amen. It doesn't go to anyone else. If you don't use it, it remains empty. Yeah. 
It's always been yours. And this table is not just the table of kind thoughts. You see, if you have a plumbing problem and I have compassion on you, it doesn't matter. I'm not a plumber. I can't fix your plumbing problem. Okay. You have to call somebody that can. But if I am a plumber and you have a plumbing problem, I can do something more than you than just think happy thoughts. You see, when Jesus who created all things seen and unseen, and they are held together by the greatness of his power. When he has a kind thought, it has more behind it than just kindness. It has power. This table is not a table of just making merry. It's a table of health, of healing, of wisdom, of divine favor that puts you into apartments within an hour. That's what it does because he's got the power to do it. And when you call him father and you stay close to him, that power affects the way you think. It changes you. It changes you. All it really does is get rid of all the foolishness that sin created and puts you back to the state you were made to be in. That's what the presence of God does for you. It introduces you to the real you that your father made. Amen. There is more at that table. Okay. It's just not, a, it's not a table full of appetizers. Okay. It's a real table. There's real food at this table. It can sustain you. It can grow you. It can nourish you. It can heal you. It can change your heart and it can make you a light to your family. So they come looking for that same light. Yes, amen. It can. That's what the presence of God will do. It'll mark you. It changes you. You show up different to everybody around you. Not everybody likes it either. You come up full of righteousness and full of joy. It drives some sin in people mad. They get upset about it. They do not like it. It's okay. Have compassion on them because that's how your father does. But I want to tell you this. There's a seat at you for you in the table of God's presence. It was put there by love and it's permanent. And there is a permanent invitation for you to know your father intimately. And inside of that is everything that God is. Listen, the greatness of God was not made to be accessed without closeness. You need to understand that. You can come and you can grab some things that can help you. But if you want to live free, and full of life, you must live close to God. That is the way he designed you. Okay? If you got a leaky tire, well, you can go put some air in it once a week, get a little Jesus and pumped up. But if you will get on into the right place, you won't lose any of that life out of you. You won't need pumping up because you'll stay full. He said over in John chapter 7, out of your bellies will flow river of life. He didn't say a puddle, a splash, and then you've got nothing left. A divine flow that never stops. That's closeness. And closeness must be accommodated. It must, you got to change your life for closeness. You got to make some alterations for closeness. You know what I'm saying? If you're freezing cold and there's a fireplace 20 feet away, something's going to have to move in order for you to get warm. And if you sit over here 20 feet away from the fireplace freezing, well, that was on you. All right. And it sounds foolish, 
But people are empty. They have no joy. They have no peace. And they have no idea how they're going to make it in the future. They don't know what they're going to do. They have no security in themselves because they're living 20 feet away from the fire. Get on over there, get close and sit there for a while so it thoroughly warms you up. Get it on your toes, get it on your hair, get it on your backside, get all of it warm, all of it warm. There's a place for you at that table. I don't know what son you may be. You may be represented by one of the sons, one that's been in church all your life, but hadn't really got close to God. One that feels like you're not worthy of God. Doesn't matter. You see, the father had the same reaction to both. Compassion and come on in. And that's what he wants for you today. So as I've said so many times before, take time to get to know your father and let it fill you with life. Start with your word. Start with some quietness. If you got to play a a, a YouTube worship song, play it. Whatever start you have, you start it. All right. Even if your first step is a stumble, at least it was a step. That's right. Amen. Amen.